You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. We made it to Friday, y'all. We have had a long week of serious topics, tough stories. We even had an NFL football game, kind of, in there. We're going to get to a couple of those stories, touch on the latest, but we have a lot of fun planned for today as well. I even have a pop quiz for Courtney. She has no idea what it is. It's just slated in the segment as quiz. Uh, so are you nervous, Courtney? A hundred percent nervous. I have no idea what's coming my way. I've heard that our producer, Ben, has already failed this quiz, and my brain is fried from being on a field at training camp. So uh, yeah. I don't know well. what you're going to get coming out of my mouth today, Sarah. There you go. It's Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin's in for fits on ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Let's start with the quote-unquote NFL game that occurred last <laughs> night. Not a whole lot of big names, not a whole lot of starters, but the ones that did play were a little bit interesting. Namely, Josh Jacobs, running back for the Raiders, who got a handful of snaps, and his situation maybe is more interesting than first glance. We know that Bill Belichick, who McDaniels learned under, tends to use a sort of running back core. Is he going to adopt that and use a bunch of different backfield guys with the Raiders as well? In that case, with the Raiders declining Jacob's fifth-year option, is he battling for spots? Are they trying to get a look to see where he fits in? Are they just figuring out how much he can handle compared to someone like their, you know, rookie Zamir White, who, who got a lot of snaps and looked pretty good, too? Like, Courtney, there might be something to why we saw Josh Jacobs in the first preseason game. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting approach. I mean, he had touches on seven touches on 11 snaps. This is not typically what you see with your starting running back. And considering how much production he's had the last, you know, three or now he's going into his fourth season in the NFL and, and where he's at, um, statistically speaking, like that's that's crazy. I mean, he's fifth in rushing since 2019 with 3,087 yards. And we know that, as you mentioned, they declined to pick up his fifth-year option. So he's headed towards unrestricted free agency next March. Now, what does this mean for the Raiders? I mean, you could just look at it as, hey, well, they wanted to get him a good look early on. They wanted to rotate all their guys. They had some weird rotations in there where they, like, put their starters in at kind of weird times, or at least some of their starters last night, um, you know, rolling out like they had four of their starting five offensive linemen. That was kind of strange. I didn't mm -hmm. expect to see that in this preseason game. In some preseason game, yes, but the Hall of Fame game had a rain delay. It's always a mess. It's not good football. Yeah. We're looking for like Very backup early. quarterback <laughs> battles. So I was kind of surprised to see Josh McDaniels approach to this in his first game as the Raiders head coach. I mentioned Zamir White, fourth-round rookie for the Raiders, and he looked good. He had 52 yards on 11 carries, had a long of 14, was able to break tackles, was able to fight through. Now, it's the first game of the preseason. Who you're going up against matters, and, and how everybody else develops over the course of the preseason matters. But interesting to keep an eye on. We also kept an eye on another rookie in that game, number one overall pick, Trevon Walker. And... He played only two series, but he immediately made an impact, Courtney. He had um, a pressure in the very first play out there, ended up getting flagged for roughing the passer when he took down uh, Jarrett Stidham. But the very next possession, gets his hands on him, 
takes him down in a sack. And if you're the Jaguars, like you saw out of Walker exactly what you want to see in the first preseason game from your number one pick, which is that he looked really good out on the field with a whole bunch of other professional players, and he still looked dominant. Yeah, I mean, it was limited action. And it's unfortunate. His first professional snap resulted in that roughing the passer penalty, and I really think that was a questionable call. It's, you know, it's preseason for the refs, too. We hear that a lot, even though that's kind of infuriating. But he looks the part, every bit of the part, of being the number one overall pick. And I think that that's a really good thing for Jacksonville as they're trying to figure out, okay, what direction do they go in now? Year two under Trevor Lawrence, Doug Peterson's taking has taken over as the head coach down there. Defensively, where are they? Certainly looks like their first round pick is going to pan out to potentially, you know, be this year's Micah Parsons of what we thought Micah Parsons uh, you know, what he panned out to be last year. Like, I'm excited to see Josh Allen on one side of the defensive line for Jacksonville and then Trayvon Walker on the other. And who knows, maybe I'm not trying to overreact off of one preseason game, but it was impressive to see in such limited action how disruptive Trayvon Walker could be. And maybe he trends in that Micah Parsons route where he's starting to get, you know, pre- rookie uh, defensive player of the year sort of honors early on. Yeah, and worth noting that they moved him around a bit at Georgia, and keeping him at outside linebacker and believing that he's built the right way for that, he could be even better than what we saw collegiately because he'll have the focus and the consistency at one position. So going to be fun to watch. Uh, Wasn't a lot else in that game, but that's to be expected in the Hall of Fame game. It's the worst of the preseason games, which are typically pretty bad. Uh, We'll get to some more preseason talk, what the Browns plan to do with Deshaun Watson and other uh, related topics in just a little bit. By the way, technically the Raiders won 27 to 11. The only person on earth who cares about that is Fitz, but technically (laughs) the Raiders won. Uh, The Raiders were in the zone, I guess. Get in the zone is brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone, AutoZone. Okay, one of the things that we did talk about during that game, Courtney, uh, and that has made news far more than anything that we saw on the field was Raiders owner Mark Davis eating wings in a white suit. Um, he was going to town on a flat. You know, we can have the drumstick flat conversation if you want. I'm a vegetarian now, and I will still adamantly argue for drumsticks over flats. I'm sorry. That's just the way I feel. There's more meat. There's fewer veins. There's less of those, like, weird small bones that you got to work around. Either way, though, you are wearing a white suit, and you are just, oops, I've got my audio down as I'm, as I'm giving myself the play-by-play watching him uh, go to town here. Uh, Courtney, that is a very risky move. I'm trying to think of a combination of food and and attire that is riskier than white uh, white suit and wings. I will give him this. He did take his suit jacket off. Yes. The, the photo that circulated in the internet has his jacket on the chair behind him, so at least he had the foresight to know that he might get a little messy eating the fl- – that is a flat, is it not? Yeah, mm-hmm. that is. Um, yeah. That that might be kind of a dangerous uh, – maybe he didn't have a Tide pen with him. Who knows? And couldn't send his dry cleaning <laughs> out in Jackson in uh, Canton but it's um it's not a great it's not a great food to eat I think when you're like not within the confines of your own home to do mm-hmm. that like at a game you've got people around you in the box that you're sitting in it's just messy like what do you do do you go like immediately wash your hands after that yeah, like you, you worry about touching anybody out. else mm-hmm. kind of gross yeah so a couple things about that one um He's Mark Davis, and he owns all of the things around him, so maybe he doesn't care. Um, Two, yeah, I'm sure that there's an assistant nearby with a full bucket of wet wipes just waiting to help out. I I wonder, though, as I was watching this, I was thinking, to your point of him not being at home, if you have a disaster situation, do you have another white 
mock turtleneck, I believe is what he's wearing, to change into if something goes awry. Because that actually happened to me once uh, when I was in Miami for Around the Horn. I had three shows. I had, not Around the Horn, uh, Highly Questionable. I had Levitard in the morning on TV and radio. Then I had Highly Questionable. Then I had Around the Horn. And then I had radio. So three of the four were on camera. And in between three and four, I went out to get food and came back. And I spilled coffee all the way down the shirt I was wearing. So I needed to use the next day's shirt and then shop the next morning for the final day of shows. Have you ever had that? Where you're oh. like gonna do tv or you're in a moment where you have there's no there's no option you're stuck 100 percent. i was doing a live stream last year with christian mccaffrey for this protein company uh i was hired for that he you know sponsors and of course right as i'm you know 10 minutes away from getting on the instagram live oh no my, my lip gloss that i'm putting oh. on just happens to like fall out of my hand gravity oh. just took over and it hits the ascent protein like logo like perfectly right in the middle of it pink stripe oh. of lipstick and, like lip gloss and i'm like you've got to be kidding me because that's not something that like you can easily scrub out because of you know the oils in the lip gloss are just like yeah. embedded on that so i had to wear the hoodie that they gave me and you could barely <laughs> see the logo and it was just like not a great situation yeah, I, was, I still never good. got to stay out of it um i uh once was told I was all wrapped on a Cubs World Series or playoff run, and I had time to go home and change into my Cubs head-to-toe fan gear and come back to the ballpark. And then as the game was nearing an end, they said, all right, well, we'll see you out right on the rooftop at Murphy's across the street right before. And I was like, whoa, I was told I was done. Oh, no, no, we want you back. Sorry, I don't know who told you that. And I had to do a sports center hit in a cameraman's rain jacket over my gear because <laughs> oh it's all we had we want to ask you that mark davis thing was a dangerous move almost as dangerous as eating wings on a first date so what is the ultimate worst first date food at sarah spain at courtney r cronin we'll get to that in a bit coming up the fun continues with a little nfl big deal or no deal Spain and Fitz, the podcast. We're just a couple weeks away from the start of the regular season in the NFL, which has everyone either very excited about their team, very worried about their team, or tracking injuries. And so we have a couple situations of either injury or some serious drama that we need to check in with in the NFL and ask, is this a big deal or no deal? It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin, in for Fitz, Anna Friday, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80, Let's do a little NFL big deal or no deal. Courtney, I'm going to start you with the Tevin Jenkins story. This one is all yours to tell everybody who hasn't kept up with how the Bears somehow drafted very high a guy that was supposed to be a part of this revamped offensive line, and he is nowhere to be found. No, we are at day seven of Tevin Jenkins not being at practice, and you go back to the spring where he was participating all off season, OTA's mini camp. He was with at left tackle, and then they draft Braxton Jones in the fifth round. He gets relegated then to the second team right tackle spot. He's, well, and explain to everyone why, because he was very highly touted coming in last was. year, but injuries and otherwise have made him hard to depend on. I do not think that this current staff is very high on Tevin Jenkins, and it's kind of an indictment of what they feel about him as a second-round draft pick, 39th overall, very clear departure of the, from what Ryan Pace, the former general manager, thought about Tevin Jenkins. And you, you mentioned the injury. He had back surgery last offseason, played less than 160 snaps last year, you know, just really couldn't stick. But this was supposed to be 
the future at left tackle for the Chicago Bears and how quickly it seems that they are moving on from him, but yeah. not so fast if you're talking to Luke Getze, the offensive coordinator for the Chicago Bears. And today he was asked, like, is Tevin Jenkins in meetings? Because Matt Eberflus will not address the injury. Last week he called it day-to-day. Well, it's starting to become week-to-week. And Getze said, like, oh, yeah, he's there. He's he's locked in. He's ready to go. Whenever he gets back from his situation he's dealing with, um, hmm. he'll go right in. I say – to Bears fans or anybody just like trying to read in, into that and be like, well, the what's being reported is one thing. What this what the staff is saying is another. Until I see Tevin Jenkins with my own two eyes, and until we can talk to Tevin Jenkins, I don't really take much of that um, with credence because it just feels like a team's not going to trash a player publicly that they're trying to potentially trade and get right. actual draft compensation for. So of course it sounds great if, if he is banged up and, it, and they put off the notion that he's in these meetings, that he's participating and that they want him here. That's trying to drive up the price on what they could get for a, a second round pick that they might be ready to cut bait on this preseason. So when he says his situation That is just a term that he found that will not give us any information, whether it's physical, mental, relating to teams, coaches, etc. Exactly. And Matt Eberflus did say he's working through something with trainers. So um, once he gets through his deal, that's what Luke Luke Getze called it today. Mm. So his deal sounds like it's something physical because that's the stance that the team is taking right now. That, yeah, he's not out there because it's injury related. But there is more behind the scenes that's unfolding right now, and I, I've reported this. We I've talked about this on radio, and, and just checking in with a couple other teams. Like teams are doing their research right now to see how serious the Bears are about trading uh, Tevin Jenkins and, and cutting bait with him before the 90-man roster goes to 53. Like if they're going to do it anyways and try to move on and make a culture-type move by saying, okay, this guy did not fit what we want to do, we're going to cut bait before it's too late, then teams are not going to be willing to try to get involved in any sort of trade talks because why would you give up a draft pick for a player that a team is thinking it might cut and, and not have part of the roster mm-hmm. when it goes down to like September 2nd? So, All right, Courtney, final ruling then. Big deal or no deal? I think it's a very big deal. I think very it is a very deal. big deal right now in spite of what – coaches are saying because we haven't talked to Tevin Jenkins since and it's disappointing there were a lot of expectations and we know how important an offensive line and a good left tackle is to Justin Fields so to waste that pick and to have him come in and and not be fulfilled in any way um that's a big deal all right we're doing NFL big deal or no deal Sarah Spain Courtney Cronin we're ESPN radio presented by Progressive Insurance Cliff Kingsbury The day before Kyler Murray tested positive for COVID and had to leave practice, he was sitting out physically playing, and Cliff Kingsbury gave him a little job to call the plays for the offense. Here's what he had to say about the experiment. Easy. Every now and then, he starts shaking his head when I'm calling him in there. I'm like, all right, go ahead, dude. All right. No, I think anytime we keep him involved, and he was coaching him up like right to the last second, like while they're trying to throw, he'd be saying stuff. So I probably won't do that again. (laughs) No, we had to do it. We wanted to get him involved. um, He did a good job. It's just, I would not want to play for Kyler Murray if I was a quarterback. (laughs) All right, there are some smiles. There's some laughter, but I'm looking at the words he used, Courtney. I wanted him to know, hey, this bleep ain't easy. Every now and then he starts shaking his head when I'm calling it in there. I'm like, all right, big dog. 
And then I would not want to play for Kyler Murray if I was the quarterback and he was the coach. Smile all you want. But first of all, I think big dog is very intentional when you talk about small dog. A wee little dog. Also, hey, this bleep ain't easy. If you've got as much swirling around this guy as you do right now, from the clause in his contract that they ended up removing because of embarrassment, from the commentary about him being conceited and selfish right before the contract conversation started, all of that coming in, and this is how Cliff decides to publicly address that, that's telling me something. Yeah, this isn't just, hey, the backups are in. Here, Here's the walkie-talkie. You go ahead and talk to the quarterbacks. Like, let's just get you to get your feet wet because there's nothing else for you to do in this moment. No, this was intentional. And I think that it's Cliff Kingsbury. I mean, certainly sending a message to his starting quarterback after everything that came out last week. And, you know, but beyond that, when he's talking about, you know, sometimes like he'll he'll look at him, um, you know, from the sideline and not necessarily question what he's doing. That's not the wording that Cliff Kingsbury used, but he'll shake his head as he's calling the play. I think it was all right. Like, all right, you go see how hard it is because mm-hmm. it's not easy. And apparently Arizona during preseason practices and training camp doesn't have the function where uh, the the headset shuts out after shuts off after 15 seconds in your helmet. So, uh, yeah, it's difficult to get a very long play in, have the quarterback, like, repeat it back to you, which these backups are supposed to do for repetition, and, you know, get it, get the play out on time. I mean, Kyler Murray does a lot of this stuff. He goes off script a ton, and he has the athleticism and ability to do that, but it still requires a good play caller to, to see success within, within a starting quarterback. Like, yeah, I'm just the, much more interested in his relationship with Cliff. Right, I mean, these second quarterbacks, they're not going to be able to work with him on this, but he had him do this for a reason, and then he publicly said what he said for a reason. Mm -hmm. And I'm watching this relationship. Everything that happens this season will be viewed through the lens of us understanding that that clause was in his contract and the complaints about him. So this is fascinating to me that they chose to talk about this and the language that Cliff used. Hey, real quick, we're going to talk to Bill Plaschke next about Matthew Stafford's injury. Uh, it's got me thinking of some folks that I'm, uh, are not good to think of when it comes to injury, including Andrew Luck. We'll see how big of a deal that is. Spain and Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. If you're a renter, make sure you're protected. Renter's insurance includes options that cover stolen property, personal injury, and living expenses if your place is damaged. Quote renter's insurance at progressive.com. Coming up, two LA superstars dealing with injuries. We'll go around the horn with Bill Plaschke next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Happy Friday. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Don't forget to tune into an NL East battle tomorrow night as the Mets host the Braves, presented by Progressive Insurance. Coverage begins at 6.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. A little around the horn trifecta here as Bill Plaschke joins me and Courtney Cronin, LA Times sports columnist, panelist for Around the Horn. He and I have a playful back and forth on that show, but he's one of the nicest guys in the business. And I will never fail to say that he has been named National Sports Columnist of the Year eight times by the Associated Press. He knows his stuff. He knows L.A. He's going to bring it up even if you don't ask. But today we have two L.A. (laughs) topics, Plaschke. Let's start with Matthew Stafford. Um, It's a sort of how big of a deal is it to have elbow pain as a quarterback and for that pain to be something that sounds confusing and unlikely or, or abnormal for the quarterback and for his coach? Yes, this is a 
this is a big deal. It's a big deal out here. They've, Sean McVay's never coached a quarterback with this kind of injury before. I'm not so sure Stafford's had this kind of injury before. He, he's never played as much as he played last year when he got to the Super Bowl. He's had his 13 years, and he had a 186-start streak or something. He's been an Iron Man, and you wonder how much toll that's taken on his arm. They're taking it slow with him, but they don't know what to expect. I mean, he, he, he threw the ball 50 yards in practice the other day, looked great for one throw, but it's going to take more than one throw to get through this, this schedule. So I think their fingers are crossed, but I think, I think they're, it's, it's uncharted territory. Yeah, and I, I think they know it, and I think the team knows it, and everybody's kind of held their breath because if they don't have him, they're done. I mean, they cannot go back to the Super Bowl without Matthew Stafford. They can barely make the playoffs without Matthew Stafford. So uh, this is this is a huge, huge, huge deal. Yeah, Bill. What what strikes me the most is that Sean McVay declined to call the issue tendonitis, and he kept calling it like a tricky deal. It's abnormal for a quarterback. As a coach, he's never navigated through something like this with a quarterback. So that sounds great for the Rams as you try to figure out, okay, what is the actual plan of attack? Because if it is some sort of degenerative issue within his his elbow, because he had this in the 2001 season, you expect that it could potentially continue to be an issue throughout this season. How are the Rams saying they're trying to navigate this right now or handle it in the short term? Like, Do they plan on having him mo- throw more than just like seven on seven while they're still in Irvine? No, I wouldn't be surprised if they, because they shut down their players during training camp anyway. I won't be surprised if he doesn't throw again until the first game of the season. I think they're going to be putting him on a pitch count. I think they're going to be monitoring him closely. And it's it's really indicative of, of Sean McVay's inexperience with this, the fact that he's even talking about it. How many coaches do you have talk so honestly about their quarterback's injury? I mean, he, he, actually, he actually used the word abnormal in one of his interviews. And that, and that shows that even Sean's not used to this. So, no, I think they're going to shut him down. I mean, if I was – I know this is not a fantasy football show, but if I was a fantasy football player, which I am, mm. I would be very wary of, of Matthew Stafford. We're talking to Bill Plaschke of the LA Times, also a fellow Around the Horn panelist with Courtney and I. You could follow him at Bill Plaschke. Quickly on this, and I said this on the show today, the problem I have with this and the gut feeling I have with this is it reminds me both of that weird Dak injury where the Cowboys said that they had to talk to the Rangers about it. That's something that Sean McVay has said. It's more of a pitcher's or baseball injury. And then also with Andrew Luck years ago, when it was started as a calf, they said it was kind of weird. They weren't sure what it was. Came down to his ankle, and eventually he retired, and it was a, it was a big mess. I don't like any injury where anybody who's a specialist is confused about it. Are you worried about potentially serious, long-term, this developing into something more than something that just can be rested? Well, we're seeing this, what you're saying, exactly is what we're seeing across the, 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 the cross town here at Dodger Stadium, where I am right now, with Clayton Kershaw. We're seeing the exact same thing, where he has this degenerative back thing, and it's hampered him every year for three or four or five or six the last seven years. And I can't imagine Matthew Stafford could last in the NFL that long with this like this. Mm. So, yes, I mean, this could be – and this is franchise. Remember, they traded everything to get this guy. They traded everything to win now. They, they sold the farm – to win the Super Bowl. And if they, if they can't get any consistency and they can't keep winning, you know, they're not only going to lose, lose their, you know, lose their foothold, they're going to lose this town because this town's all about winners. 
So this is, this, you're right, there's a lot more riding on this than just a seven-on-seven passing drill or a half a season or a monitoring for a season. This is a kid's career, and if his career is at all in jeopardy, the whole Rams' foothold in his community is in jeopardy. So on that note of Clayton Kershaw, he was placed on the 15-day injured list Friday, classified as low back pain. So he left his start in San Francisco yesterday after only four innings. He told reporters it's, quote, just more back stuff. That doesn't sound great for somebody who has dealt with this. And had you had mentioned that word degenerative, like an issue that continues to pop up. What what are the Dodgers saying about, like, the severity of this and, and potentially this being a prolonged absence again for Clayton Kershaw? Yeah, well, they're not – they're not saying because they don't know, but history will show us. We've been, we've been through this with him four or five times. We've all seen it, been there, done that. He'll miss – he was put on the IL today. He'll miss a month probably. He'll probably come back in September. He'll have a month to ramp up to try to get ready for the playoffs and see if they can get four or five innings at him in the playoffs. It's just, we, we, we've lived this many, many times, and that's exactly what they're doing. And it's, this year, though, it's more, more – it's, it's much more important – and much more decisive because they didn't get any pitching help at the trade deadline. And I pled for them to do it in the newspaper, and of course they never listened to me. They didn't get any pitching help at all. They, they, and in fact, as you made, you made the great point on the show today, says Sarah, they, they, traded, they actually traded pitching. They traded right. Mitch White, mm-hmm. who would have been a nice fill-in. So they don't have Max Scherzer waiting to pitch her. They don't have Walker Bueller, who's hurt and who may not be ready for the postseason. Probably not. They don't have those guys. They they have a bunch of untested guys plus Julio Urias. They don't have without Kershaw. They don't have a championship rotation, and there's nowhere to get one at this point. Somebody came up to me, a Dodger official, and said that you know I just I've been thinking about this. That you know there, there's no waiver trade trade deadline this year. I said duh. I mm-hmm. said you you all had to know that that once the trade deadline come and gone, you can't get anybody else. They can't get anybody else from now to the end of the season. They can't get any, make any late August pickups like the Astros picked up Justin Verlander a couple of years ago. They can't do that. There's nobody out there to get. They have to do it with what's in that clubhouse. And I don't know if what's in that clubhouse is going to be enough if Clayton Kershaw can't, can't answer the bell. It is rare to hear Bill Plaschke doubting the Dodgers in recent years. I have been to. Telling us it will be the greatest team of all time, 120 wins, etc. But I don't blame you because, as you said, they traded Mitch White. They failed in, in trying to get Pablo Lopez before the trade deadline. And you mentioned Walker Bueller, uncertain with a flexor strain and surgery after a bone spur in his elbow. Dustin May still coming back from Tommy John. Andrew Heaney is on a pitch cap because of uh, his shoulder issues. So it is not just Kershaw. If it were just Kershaw, you could look at the rest of the roster and try to figure out who picks up the slack. Uh, But he's been so good when he's healthy and they have issues with other pitchers. When you look around, they still have a tremendous lead and they are still the team expected to be number one and get a first round bye do you see that actually falling apart over the course of the next month or so? No, no. I mean, they'll get the first round by. I can't overestimate how bad. I don't care how good the Padres look right now. They're still 12 and a half games back. They're going to get a first round by. There's no question about that. It's just what happens. Can they win a five-game series? Can they win a, more important, can they win a seven-game series with their starting pitching? I know you're catching me at a very vulnerable, non-plasky-like <laughs> L.A. moment, but it's true. And it's probably because I'm sitting here at Dodger Stadium, and the, the looks are, of course, there's a, there's a, a memorial for Vin tonight, Vin Scully, the late yeah. Vin Scully, but, but there's long faces everywhere for a lot of reasons out here. 
there's a lot of incoming slow dread about if Kershaw's down, what happens next? And they don't know what happens next. And there, there is no plan B. They have no plan B. Yeah. Well, uh, it's the Dodgers. So we know that they've got a whole bunch of talent in there. And it's also Kershaw, who's come back from injury before. It's just a matter of how serious this one is. Backs are nothing to mess with. Uh, Bill, thanks so much for the time. Appreciate you sneaking us in. Thanks, guys. I love being with you on the show. You guys are like my family. Have a great time and have a great vacation from around the horn. Yeah, we have a long vacation from around the horn today. The last show until August 24th, which is a a long, long stretch. I'm somehow managing to take an even longer vacation, but mine starts a little bit later. and We don't have to get into that right now. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin coming up. Will Courtney pass the biggest test of her life? Pop quiz coming up next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin. Uh, Courtney, I want to save our fun story for a little bit later. I want to make sure we really have time for this pop quiz. So a little later, we are going to talk about an unbelievable act that one NFL player admitted to in order to avoid the wrath of his coach. That is a tease for later because we need to get to some Friday fun in the form of a pop quiz. Courtney has no idea what it's about. I am guaranteeing you she's going to fail. It's Spain and Fit, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. And Courtney, what'd you do today? You were busy all day, right? So you're not really sure what's going on in the world around you. You just went and covered some bear stuff, did some interviews, and now you're here. Yes? Yeah, I've been going since 7. So I know that I'm going to fail this because my brain at this point of the week with training camp and standing out in the sun all day is like a fried egg. So have at it, Sarah. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Well, so just in case you were unaware because of your busy day, uh, today is the Ocho. Yes. The Ocho. We had it on in the media room. Oh, okay. So you might do all right. ESPN 8, the Ocho is back. It's your number one destination for seldom seen sports. If it's almost a sport, it's on the Ocho. I'm going to quiz you. You are not allowed to use Google. You are not allowed to cheat. I would like to see how many of the events in today's Ocho programming you can identify. Okay? Okay. I'm going to start, I believe, simply with pickleball. What is what is pickleball? Pickleball is a form of paddle tennis. It's played on a court. It has like a short net. And the rackets are like, they're wooden if they're plastic. If I, I've played it before. And it's oh, played yeah. with a right. form of a tennis ball. It's a little heavier. It's like a plastic softball looking thing that you just yeah it's table tennis but on a on an actual court okay started nice and easy and she was right it's basically a paddle sport kind of like smaller tennis with a wiffle ball and uh and and yeah well done how about spike ball spike ball is something that i've seen a lot of bros play in (laughs) open field spaces in the chicago Mm -hmm. greater chicago land area beach sometimes yes Mm -hmm. it's a it consists of a trampoline a mini trampoline it's got these weird like yellow plastic things that come up like almost as like barriers and it's like handball but using a trampoline where you you smash it in the trampoline and then depending upon where it goes you have to smash it back smack it i guess yeah yeah you're right it's basically volleyball plus four square on a sort of hula hoop taut trampoline net thing all right well done two for two Would you be able to identify what the acronym AUDL stands for? Because there is a championship of the AUDL occurring today. 
A-U-D-L. Hmm. Start with the first one. I bet you can get it. Audio. Nope. Australia. No, it's actually American. American. American Mm -hmm. United Doritos Locos (laughs) Tacos. Now that's a game... You would not want to play on the first date, speaking of things that we talked about earlier. <laughs> it is the American Ultimate Disc League. Oh, uh, so yeah. ulti- is that a form of Ultimate Frisbee? I believe so, yes. Ultimate Frisbee, uh, the Ultimate Disc League. Okay, how about the Corona Belt Sander Races? Corona or? Did you- Corona. C-O-R-U-N-N-A. I thought you. Were, I thought this was like a playoff, like the coronavirus, yeah, and they no. made a sport out and of it. And certainly not the beer either. It's not sponsored. Okay. Corona. Um, zero idea what that is. <laughs> Do you know what a belt sander is? Not in the slightest. Yeah, me neither. I Googled this one. A belt sander use, is used to shape and finish wood. So I think it's like, you know, a sander, but it's a specific kind. So it's like a miniature drag race where you put belt sanders on parallel tracks mm-hmm. and whichever belt sander finishes first wins. And sometimes people decorate the top of their belt sanders with little cars or other things that will look like that's the thing that's racing. And apparently there are leagues dedicated to this sport. This sounds and like soapbox derby. Kind of, but it's a belt sander, which is much smaller. Apparently there's stock. So sanders unchanged from the factory and then modified if you customized your belt sander for better racing performance. Okay. How about the Noblesville bed races? Noblesville, Indiana. Is that I at least get the place right? Potentially. Okay. That's that's the only Noblesville I know. I agreed. Um, bed races, it's going to be me actually after I get off the show. I'm going to go race <laughs> to get into bed so I can sleep. Uh, Except I'm not going to do it in Noblesville, Indiana. Yeah, it is exactly what you think it is, uh, by the way. It is in Indiana, and it is a bed race. It is a foot race involving three to four runners pushing a wheeled bed through a race course. Uh, You could build your own bed, or you could pay a higher fee and get one provided while supplies last. Uh, So it is a bunch of people pushing a bed through uh, the town square, apparently, in Noblesville. Okay, the next one is, uh, I I had zero clue, but somebody behind this is hoping that the exposure from ESPN2 might help make this eventually an Olympic event. It is the Excel Esports. What is that? Excel Esports is a big company initiative. I know that ESPN is huge with esports. I couldn't Mm -hmm. really tell you much about esports, but I know they are a big thing, especially in the gaming space. Um, Okay. So Excel Excel is the, uh, can you spell that? E-X-C-E-L. Okay. Um, I thought it was X-C-E-L, and that's an energy company that I used to have (laughs) in Minnesota. So uh, strike one on that. Isn't Excel the program that I use in Microsoft Word? It is, yes. That okay. is that is one uh, application of Excel. So they use that to... Uh, what are we talking about? Yeah, like... so it's actually... There's a thing called the Financial Modeling World Cup. And <laughs> in this case, the Excel All-Star Battle pits eight... Excel superstars against each other. So these are yes, people that's who are right. good at spreadsheets. People who are good at spreadsheets. Oh my goodness. And in the first round, they try to score a thousand points by writing formulas to solve an Excel puzzle. And then they advance and continue solving puzzles in Excel. 
And yes, somebody involved hopes it's eventually an Olympic sport. So it's an e-sport, so I assume that yeah. there's like a live stream on yes, Twitch. Yes, you're watching them try to watching. solve the puzzle. Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, so, it's coding is a huge thing now. It is. So it I is. guess that it's a good it, skill to have. Yes. Uh, Courtney Croden and Sarah Spain were talking about the Ocho, your number one destination for seldom seen sports. Courtney's trying to decode what the events are based solely by their names. Swarm Fling Golf Classic. Swarm Fling Golf. Uh, is Fling Golf like a form of Frisbee golf? It is not. Okay. That would be the disc golf previously referred to. Fling Golf. Do you... I mean, is it played on the ground or is it played in the air? Because when you fling something, that makes me think that it's a projectile. Well, it's both. It starts on the ground and then it becomes an air sport. Do you use a mallet? It kind of is like that. It's basically like almost like a hurling stick or like okay. a lacrosse stick but with only one small area that you put the ball in so it's exactly like on a golf course but you don't hit the ball you use a new swarm fling stick thrower to hurl the ball along the tee into the hole so it's new age lacrosse it's lacrosse had a baby with golf yeah kind of okay. like that i and actually kind of like that and idea. hurling from uh, ireland okay we're gonna speed through a couple more tech ball t-e-q ball um, baseball. No. Okay. Tech ball is a sport played on a curved table combining elements of soccer and table tennis. So you're kind of like playing ping pong with your feet in your head, but the table is curved. I don't like that idea. <laughs> it looks actually really fun. I highly recommend people check out death, uh, the tech ball. Uh, death diving. Last one. Jump, uh, bungee jumping of some form or fashion, except uh, at a higher level. No, this is without actually a, a death harness. diving out of Nor. Uh, it's Norwegian. It's an amateur diving belly flop jumping competition managed by Det International Dutch Forbundet. Uh, and yeah, Sounds that is painful. also a part of the Ocho. Courtney, you did a fine job. You failed miserably, but did. you did a fine job of guessing. Coming up, we'll set our sights on South Beach as Marcel Louis Jacques joins to talk dolphins. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive is proud to team up with Hello Alice to support small businesses. Get access to small business resources and learn about small business grants at helloalice.com. Sort of surprising, but after an incredibly strange offseason for the dolphins, I still find that a lot of football fans. Missed a whole lot of the drama down in Florida. And so to catch us up, Marcel Louis-Jacques, ESPN Dolphins reporter, joins us now. Marcel, I, I, I hate to do this because I'm sure you've been talking about this a ton, but I find via my social media feeds that a whole lot of people really kind of missed the whole Tom Brady retired, tried to go to the Dolphins as a player owner, and then Brian Flores' lawsuit disrupted everything storyline. Can you just give us a little bit of that whole thing that's kind of behind what ended up being just a tampering charge yeah so it, it actually i think first started uh we first started hearing about it in april is when i think the rumor started and nobody had anything concrete to really pay anything like any close attention to uh but it wouldn't be outside of the question it wouldn't be insane right if uh if tom brady decided to you know, stop playing and join the Dolphins franchise as a part-time or a limited owner. The crazy part was that owner Stephen Ross and his limited partner Bruce Beal 
have been trying to do this since 2019. And that's what the NFL's investigation brought up, uh, uh, excuse me, earlier this week, that they were illegally contacting the GOAT while he was still a member of the New England Patriots. And then they did it again toward the end of the 2021 season. So this was recent. It's not something to just brush off as, oh, it was a long time ago, as I think a lot of people are, are, are getting caught up on. This is something they were actively trying to do right after they were in the middle of the Deshaun Watson trade saga in midseason. So, yeah, there's been so much drama in the NFL over the past year, and the Miami Dolphins have really been directly in the heart of it. I, I don't know, you know if, if there are more than maybe four teams that have had a more tumultuous past few seasons than Miami has. Yeah, beyond the tanking, uh, or rather beyond like everything that the NFL investigated and found the Dolphins guilty of tampering with Brady and then Sean Payton, the former coach of the New Orleans Saints, they also looked into that tanking allegation that Stephen Ross was joking, not joking, I don't know, uh, in his tone that he was apparently telling former coach Brian Flores he was going to give him $100,000 if he were to prioritize draft positioning for the 2020 draft over winning games at the end of 2019. So out of that comes Eric Studesville, who's the running backs coach for the Dolphins, who says, you know, in a press conference to you guys the other day that this was not true at all. Like, are, are we supposed to take anything from this other than it's somebody who was with the team back then and the Dolphins trotted him out to be like, hey, say the right thing in front of the media so we can get it out there? Like, or do you actually think that there is some truth to, you know, what he was saying, that there wasn't a directive to tank? You know, it, it kind of feels like uh, I feel like I'm a uh, I'm an offensive coach or offensive player right now. That's about to say those guys get paid too. You know, the PR staff for the Miami Dolphins they make money too, and I'm sure they had everybody who was on that 2019 team prepared to answer these questions. But what I, I can't get past is that the NFL basically found everything that Brian Flores accused the Dolphins of doing to be true. Stephen Ross did offer $100,000 for every loss, whether it was a joke or not, up for interpretation, but he did make the offer. He did make comments to people in the organization that he thought prioritizing their draft position should trade precedence over winning. He did try to recruit Tom Brady illegally while Brady was signed by another team. So I'm not really sure how the NFL still somehow found that there was no evidence of tanking. Yeah. They, they were clearly not trying to win. So I, I, I thought Stephen Ross's statement was kind of weird the other day that he, he almost was dancing on Brian Flores' grave saying that like these allegations were always untrue and malicious and preposterous. And it's like, no, actually, yeah. the NFL, if you read the report, said that Brian Flores was telling the truth. So I think Stephen Ross is assuming people won't read that report, but I, it, it's kind of head-scratching that the NFL basically said, yeah, you know, it seems like you guys were trying to tank, but we don't find you guilty of tanking. Uh, I wouldn't expect anybody from that team to come out and say, you know, to do anything that would advance the drama, let's call it. So there's probably not going to be anybody who says on the record, yeah, you know, they, the front office or the ownership didn't want us to win games. Yeah, you know, I, I, I thought that we weren't putting our best foot forward. I wouldn't expect any of those type of statements. But let's not forget that the Miami Dolphins tanking Tankathon, Tank for Tua, that was a major storyline in 2019 that people kind of seem to forget about. 
It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin, talking to ESPN Dolphins reporter Marcel Louis-Jacques. You can follow him at Marcel underscore LJ. Jeff Darlington did an ESPN Daily about this story, and I really recommend that people listen to it. You you have no idea the intricacies of this. It's Tom Brady's friend and neighbor is this minority owner. Like you said, they've been trying to pursue him for a couple of years. They didn't really think about the fact that there would need to be a unanimous vote across NFL ownership to allow Brady out of his contract to become a player owner for the Dolphins. Like, it just feels like such a mess when you come back to it. And what you just said stands out to me because Darlington on that podcast did point out that Ross basically lied in his statement by saying that the NFL found nothing Brian Flores said to be true. And when he lies about that part, it makes you question everything else that he says. You're right. Probably most people won't read the report. Based on my mentions and Deshaun Watson, no one's reading that report or ruling either. But in this case, for them to say, yeah, we find all of this, but not the two most egregious, the racism and the, the tanking. That, to me, stands out. It feels like the NFL will go up to the point of fully punishing owners in a way that could material affect their ownership of a team, but they'll find other things like tampering to punish so it doesn't look like they're completely unwilling to hand out accountability to ownership, right? Right, and, and you know, an interesting perspective here as the NFL continues to partner with casinos and sports betting sites Finding an owner guilty of tampering, just that, like just when you're on the, the the verge, the cusp of that, probably pretty bad for business. And so I'm going to tampering put my or tanking or both. <laughs> tanking. Tanking. Yeah. Yeah. So so I'm going to put I'm going to put my tinfoil hat on here a little bit and say that the NFL punished Stephen Ross and punished the Dolphins as if it were guilty of both, because let's be honest here, a lot of teams do this tampering stuff. Maybe not to this extent. But a lot of teams, if not all, are guilty of, of tampering in one way or another. A first and third round draft pick it seems a little harsh for tampering, for, for contacting a player and contacting a coach ahead of the time that you're supposed to. But losing a first and a third round pick for doing that and purposely winning games and purposely signing guys off the street and playing them on Sunday when they don't even know who each other are, they don't know who their teammates are, that maybe seems a little bit more plausible for me. I, I, I think, uh, again, this is a little tinfoil hat here, but would we really be surprised if it's the NFL? U.S. Uh, District Judge Valerie Caproni said in a statement, I think it was yesterday, that she's going to rule in the next coming weeks rather than the next coming months about whether NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell is going to decide the merits of the racial discrimination claims that have been brought about by a handful of black coaches in the NFL, including Brian Flores. And kind of the optics around that with him looming as like a potential arbiter um, in in the situation with Brian Flores against the National Football League, like how, how does that look right now? And, and kind of what's the latest uh, in terms of like this case potentially seeing a court date um, and just like the fairness around it, if Roger Goodell is going to be the one to ultimately make that decision about whether, you know, he, he agrees with it or whether he doesn't? Uh, I mean, it, it kind of shines light on to the problem, ultimately onto the problem that is the Rooney rule. And you can't force people to be forward thinking. You, you, can't, you can't force that. It, it has to be able to come naturally. And so that's the problem with the Rooney rule and its, and its root, that you're forcing teams to interview minority candidates and you're kind of sprinkling incentives on them to hire them. But it, it's just kind of a sham interview, as Brian Flores highlighted, with the New York Giants. And 
I don't know if there's an easy fix to that because once again, when you force people to do things, they're going to skirt the rules. They're, they're, they're going to find a way to get out of doing it. And I think that's what teams have kind of been doing with this Rooney rule for the past decade plus. So I, I don't. I can't come here right now and say that I have a definitive answer. If I did, if I knew how to fix minority hiring practices in the NFL, then I probably wouldn't be a reporter for ESPN. I'd probably be working for the NFL. But it, it, it's something that you have to try to do. You have to try new things because clearly, that's not. This is not working. And you know, kudos to Brian Flores for finally for kind of you know, standing up and, and being that guy to kind of fall on the sword for something that minority coaches around the league have felt for a a very long time. Now, I don't know how many are going to speak up. I don't know how many want to join his lawsuit. I don't think it's been that many for kind of obvious reasons. But all that we can kind of hope for here is that this is the first step in the right direction toward actually inspiring and affecting some diversity into the NFL's coaching ranks. Yeah, and right. I think just like just like to follow up on that though, like the potential of having Roger Goodell, the optics behind that. I mean, it's probably part part of the reason when he cho- when he could have been the final voice in the Deshaun Watson case, he ended up appointing that to someone else. But he has the potential, Marcel, to determine the outcome of a coach's case um, here of it. And I just I don't know. Like, what do we think of the optics of that? With Roger Goodell, basically, the premise now is like if I discriminate you or I discriminate against you, and then I can appoint myself as the judge to determine whether it was fair or not. Like, I just feel like, are we missing something in all of that? I I think the fair thing would be to delegate or to recuse recuse himself from this, but uh, I I think he does, I mean, he kind of has an opportunity to do the right thing here, right? And I'm trying to view this through some rose-colored lenses here, but he has the opportunity to, to more or less make things right, but I don't know, like I said, the fair thing to do would be, you know, for him to follow precedent and appoint somebody else to, to oversee this. But maybe he's trying to, to right some wrongs, to, to right his previous wrongs. Right. We'll find out. There are a lot of wrongs for them to figure out. I appreciate you saying forward thinking instead of uh, not being racist, which would be the more accurate term for some of the people who are making these decisions at the highest levels. And unfortunately, that is a very tough thing to fix. Uh, Marcel-Louis Jacques, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. Yeah, of course. Marcel-Louis Jacques covers the Dolphins for us. Go follow him. Appreciate his time on that. Spain and Fitz presented by Progressive Insurance. Coming up, will Deshaun Watson be able to play in week one? Will he be playing during the preseason? We'll clear up some confusion with some information next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Happy Friday. You're listening to Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin in for Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Going to get back to some of the things you guys said were the worst things to eat on a first date. The list is is getting ugly, Courtney. Also, I failed to talk about Pogo Palooza and Super Hole when it comes to the Ocho, so we will also get to that. Also going to talk Cliff versus Kyler and the latest drama for the Cardinals. But there's some updates on the Deshaun Watson situation that I want to get to, and I think some of it stems also from how complicated things are with the new system that they have in place. So I was listening to some sound of Jeff Darlington on KJ and Max this morning, talking about why he believes there's a chance Deshaun Watson could play in week one. Here's what he said. In Ezekiel Elliott's situation in 2017, when he, the NFL announced that he had a six game suspension, they did so on August 17th. So what are we, August 5th right now? So a few weeks from now, 
imagine this comes down for Ezekiel Elliott. He did not end up serving his suspension until week 10 because it was was bogged down in the legal system. He got an injunction while it was being heard to allow him to play. It was on again, off again. Ultimately, it was not until I think October 17th that he withdrew his appeal and started to serve a suspension. So it is very possible, is my point here, Mm -hmm. that Deshaun Watson could still be under center week one for the Cleveland Browns if this does go through the legal system. Okay, so I understand, Courtney, why he he thinks that's the case. And I may be wrong in my thinking, but here's how this lays out to me. You can't look at the precedents from previous cases because this is a new system that now has three sides, not two. The previous iterations, you, you had the NFL versus the NFLPA. So the NFL would make a decision and the NFLPA could appeal. Now, either side can appeal for more or less or to keep it. NFLPA didn't appeal. So six games stands. They did not object to this ruling. The NFL did, and they're going to demand more. So the NFL suspension is going to sit. The appeal would have to result in fewer games, which is highly unlikely. So he is guaranteed to miss the first six weeks. The question is whether or not he'll be back for week seven on, or if the ultimate appeal decided by Roger Goodell's designee ends up being longer, indefinite, full season, whatever. I do not think it's possible for him to play in week one the way that Jeff said, because that's based on a previous system and does not apply anymore. Yeah, and I just, they didn't appeal. The NFLPA accepted that six-game suspension. So to your point, do you think a judge is really going to now listen over this? If he did go to federal court, get a temporary restraining order, which apparently those things are pretty difficult to get, like some sort of injunction that would allow him to immediately be able to play week one should the NFL come down with a harsher penalty for him like to think that like it just doesn't make any sense because the judge would have to like agree and listen to the lawyers that say that Watson would be harmed in some form or fashion by a 10 game 12 game even 16 game suspension after they were totally fine with a six game suspension to start so I feel like he could end up losing more Uh, If the court delay like pushes his case into like the second year of his contract. And so the Cleveland Browns are probably going to try to be like, let's just get this out of the way. Get the time served now. Right. Because you don't even in some weird scenario where he would be able to play week one. You wouldn't want those the suspension hanging over them. So it would come. I don't know halfway th- if, if when they come to a deci- to a decision after the appeal process goes through let's say it's week 12 what are you going to do suspend him if it's another like yeah and they suspension? can't do it anyway because like i said er- earlier they've already said they're not appealing so that one through six is happening then mm-hmm. you also have the fact you mentioned the injunction in the cases when that happened before the the court that heard that case had to have an expectation that it was likely that the person would receive a lesser suspension or no suspension based on the appeal And that is not the case here. They know that he's going to get six. And also, based on the judge's ruling, she essentially said he's guilty of all these things, but I'm hamstrung by precedent to Mm -hmm. not give him more. So there's there's a very, very minuscule, almost non-existent expectation that he would get less than what she already gave him. So there would be no reason for a court to believe that they should allow him to play on the occasion that he might be underpunished in the second uh, opinion. So I I don't think that that's going to happen. Now, preseason... Quite likely. Here's Kevin Stefanski when he was asked about the situation. I think with our plan, Jake, we'll just kind of await 
clarity on the situation, um, but just continue to move ahead with uh, what we're doing. Do you have clarity that at least you know Deshaun will not be available for the first six weeks no matter what, or are you still hopeful that he could be available week one? Yeah, I, would, I hope in the next few days that those type of questions get answered. So Kevin Stefanski being pretty vague, but Courtney, reports are saying that the Browns plan to play him in the preseason, and I see no issue with that. It may feel icky and wrong, but he is by no means prohibited by the NFL to play in the preseason. He hasn't been on a field for over a year, and they're going to need him to play when he can. Yeah, I mean, and this is a suspension for the regular season. Did not, not for the specify preseason. anything with the preseason. Exactly. Coming up, we're going to talk about more drama for the Cardinals. Kyler versus Cliff? Sure sounds like it. Talk about it next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. You'll be surprised to learn that there's some drama around quarterback Kyler Murray and the Cardinals, or as Tony Reale calls him, Calamari. Sounds like Calamari. To talk about the latest, which seems to be a little bit of salty relations between Cliff and Kyler, Luke Lipinski, co-host of the Wolf and Luke Show on 98.7 FM Arizona Sports. Luke, thanks so much for the time on a Friday. Yeah, for sure. Good, good to talk to you guys. So we've been told that it was a lighthearted exchange with Cliff Kingsbury, that he was having some fun with giving Kyler Murray play-calling duties while he was sidelined for a practice. But there were some very specific words used, and the tone certainly felt intentional in how he talked about Kyler getting the chance to do his job for a change. What did you make of the situation? Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of this this evolution of Cliff Kingsbury. We've seen at camp a little more this year where he's maybe a little more assertive. Maybe he's always been that way behind the scenes, but a little more openly, whether it's in a press conference or even just you know, on the sidelines when, when the media are around him. But, um, I mean, I think it was ultimately lighthearted. I think it was an exercise that he thought might really help Kyler Murray give him a little different perspective. But you're right, the way, he, the way he answered the question is not typical of how Cliff Kingsbury would have answered that question a year or two ago. Yeah, he mentioned that like every now and then Kyler will sh- start shaking his head when he's calling a play. So I'm wondering, like, what's an example of that? Like, Is this something that you guys have noticed covering the team like happening like on a regular occurrence? Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say that it's like a, a regular occurrence. You, you do have to you have to enter all this conversation, you know, realizing that Cliff does sort of have that dry sense of humor. But also, you know, to your point, Kyler Murray has been the um, the focal point of a, of a lot of criticism in the past, where just his body language on the sidelines isn't great, and that really kind of came to a head in that playoff game against the Rams. But it's it's been talked about really all three years that he's been here, and it's something that I think he has worked on. I don't know that Cliff was necessarily referencing that. I and mean, I really, I really do think Cliff was just kind of joking around, but at the same time, you know, Cliff's a smart guy. He knows he's joking, joking about something that has been talked about a lot here over the last three years. Yeah. Here's the thing. Uh, I think if this were any other coach and player, everything else is the same. It's a non-story, but he understands what's going on around Kyler. The accusations at the beginning of contract negotiations of him being narcissistic and selfish and conceited. The conversation around the contract clause where he would need to study that they ultimately re- removed because of embarrassment's sake. This feels like you're adding to that conversation. The big dog the he needs to know this bleep isn't easy, even if it's a little playful. I mean, he has to know that this is going to be viewed through the lens of everything else we've been talking about with Kyler and I. I don't know that it makes that situation easier. Well, and, and that's the thing. I mean, with, with everything that happened last week with Kyler and his contract, down here, honestly, that feels like that was like two months ago, but it really only was last week. 
that set the stage for extra scrutiny on Kyler. And Hard Knocks is going to be here halfway through the season. And there's all these different things now where he is going to get looked at a little bit differently anytime something like this happens. And so you're right. I, I don't think it was a big deal. But at the same time, if you're Cliff Kingsbury, you know anything you say about your quarterback, especially right now with everything else going on around this team, is going to get a little more attention. So, you know, this is, if nothing else, kind of a lesson that this is going to play out this way a lot this year, I think. Yeah, and do you think he's sending a message then? Do you think his point is to say, I'm not going to let this be about me and the media, or I'm going to make clear that I'm also aware that this is going on? And Because I can't see a reason for him to do this, uh, knowing what we know about how we're already going to be talking about this all season long. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting thought because, like I said, Cliff, he'll, he'll joke around, and, and, and he didn't really do that so much until last year on camera, but he will. He has that very dry sense of humor, but he doesn't typically do it about Kyler as much, not, not yeah. publicly at least. So it's, it's, more, it's more just a matter of, you know, I think this is something that, whether it's Cliff or anybody else, anything that's said about Kyler Murray or, here Kyler's doing something different to study or, you know, Kyler has shaken his head when he walks off the field and when I've called plays in the past, so let's, let's let him have that perspective and see it firsthand. Anything like that, you're right, is going to be looked at differently now than it would have been even three weeks ago. So one thing I don't know if everyone knows, we we are very well aware that Eric Burkhart represents Kyler Murray because of the very long message he posted on Twitter, pleading his his client's case back in the offseason the second he became eligible for a contract extension about his value to the team and what he deserves. Eric Burkhart also represents Cliff Kingsbury, who got a contract extension along with general manager Steve Kime earlier this offseason. So Kyler and, and Cliff Kingsbury are linked to together for better or for worse for uh, many years to come so I'm kind of wondering like on on you know with the fallout of the contract language and the homework clause in there to Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury sort of this like not war of words but what Cliff Kingsbury said about Kyler Murray calling plays like they're facing a critical season together and they're going to be linked together it feels like whether this thing works or not um, how have the expectations around like the two of them having to make this marriage work shifted, given all the events of the off season? Well, it's been a very awkward summer here. I think that's that's putting it mildly. It's it just for a lot of the reasons you just laid out. And yeah, Cliff gets his extension with Eric Burkhart, and he gets it. You know what? Four or five months before Kyler gets his. Now, obviously, not for as much money. So maybe that played into it, but. You're right. I mean, they were already kind of linked together when, when the Cardinals hired Cliff Kingsbury, the thought around here. They hadn't even drafted Kyler yet, but once they hired him and then drafted Kyler Murray, the thought was, okay, well, Cliff is, is the reason they drafted Kyler, and Kyler's the reason Cliff has this job. And whether that's true or not, at least 100%, you know there's, there's some truth to it. So they were already linked together, but now they're, you're right, they're even tied together that much more. And the expectations are going to be interesting because they've improved each season record-wise up to 11 wins last year. They haven't finished these seasons strong at all. So depending on who you talk to, that blame tends to fall on, on one or both of them. Spain and Fitz, Courtney Cronin, Sarah Spain. We're talking to Luke Lipinski, co-host of The Wolf and Luke Show on 98.7 FM Arizona Sports. All right, what could possibly direct folks away from this conversation and the extreme focus? Obviously, game action. Will there be positives to talk about over the first six or seven weeks of the season, or how difficult will it be to spin away from this understanding that Kyler's biggest target is going to be gone, and it might be a bit more of a struggle than what you know fans are expecting. Yeah, honestly, the biggest positive for this team right now is even just playing those games. Like They just need to get to the point where they're playing meaningful games and, and not talking about off-the-field drama. 
or contract disputes or, you know, sort of hidden agendas when, when one players or person or coach is talking about another, they just need to get to actual games. But to your point, when you start the season with the Chiefs, Raiders, and Rams, and you don't have DeAndre Hopkins, it's going to be tough. I mean, you're not going to go out and beat the Chiefs 17-13, to 13, especially with the question marks the Cardinals have on defense. And the Cardinals may end up being decent on defense by the end of the year, but going into week one against Patrick Mahomes, you're going to need to score some points. And what we saw last year is they need DeAndre Hopkins on the field to score mm-hmm. those points. So that's, yeah, there's going to be a lot of challenges in the first month. Yeah, and I mean, obviously what the news that we heard with Marquise Hollywood Brown earlier this week and, and, you know, legal situation that he's facing. I mean, who are those guys that if if this thing ends up being a prolonged absence for DeAndre Hopkins beyond those six games, who knows what, and potentially other receivers missing time, who, who are the guys that have stepped up so far during camp or at least shown flashes that they can handle considerable reps, maybe not, maybe even beyond the wide receiver position? Well, Rondale Moore is one to watch for sure. I, I think he was a little unhappy with how he was used in this offense last year as a rookie. And, and some of that, probably, there's some truth to it. And I think Cliff Kingsbury would tell you they want to get him more involved in different ways because he's just so fast when he gets the ball in his hands. So that's a guy that they're going to be leaning on. Zach Ertz is a guy they're going to be leaning on You know, as a tight end that is one of the better catching tight ends we've seen in this league in the last 10 years. So I would say those two for sure. I mean, Hollywood Brown is, is definitely the, the first answer, and now – and who knows if he's going to be available for week one or not. I mean, I would kind of assume so, but we're not talking about a small thing here. So Hollywood's supposed to be the main guy. Uh, A.J. Green is somebody they think maybe could fill DeAndre Hopkins' role just in the sense of his actual role on the field, but not to put up the numbers like DeAndre Hopkins has. So they, they have they have depth at that position, but it's, it's going quickly. Antoine Wesley got hurt this week, and, and he wasn't one of their main options, but he filled in for Hopkins last year in the second half and actually scored two touchdowns in the win over Dallas. So they're actually kind of getting thin there. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a really interesting season for all the people involved and for the jobs on the line and the reputations. Uh, Of course, for Kyler, he's got a whole lot of money and a lot of years, uh, regardless of how he performs. But man, do things get tougher if he's bad this season. Hey, Luke, thanks so much for the insight and uh, enjoy the ride and the content train. It's going to be going for a while, I think. You're going to have no, no shortage of things to talk about out there. Yeah, I think you're 100% right on that one. Thanks, guys. Have a good weekend. He's from the Wolf and Luke Show on 98.7 FM Arizona Sports. You can follow him at Luke Lipinski. Coming up, we'll hear from you. We asked you the worst first date foods. Also, a player that went to extreme lengths to not anger his coach. We'll get into it next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. I don't want to leave y'all hanging. We talked about the Ocho earlier. I gave Courtney a pop quiz. She did okay. She got she got some right. There were some got you could never right. expect her to get. Who know that there's an XL esports league where people solve XL puzzles for speed and points? Certainly not me. But I did tease you some Pogo Palooza and some Super Hole. I just want you to know that Pogo Palooza is a multi-city international touring championship bringing together the world's top ex-Pogo athletes for days of competition, exhibition, and world record setting. Yes, this is, in fact, Pogo sticking, but it involves things like high jump, which sort of looks like a Pogo pole vault, um, and a number of other elements involving people and Pogo sticks, like the Pogo Palooza Biff stick flip, the Pogo Palooza... Russ Flip, and others. This seems dangerous, but also thrilling, Courtney. I mean, being on a pogo stick is hard. Yeah. So, like, imagine doing it at, like, an Olympic level. 
Just over Could and over and over again. The calf, yeah. the calf workout sounds exhausting. Uh, super hole. Uh, there's so many things I have running through my head um, that I can't say, even if it's a Friday, even if it's almost 9 Eastern. Um, I certainly would never say it's a nickname you'd give your ex. It's just a cornhole competition. Super Hole is essentially the, like, Super Bowl of cornhole, and it is part of the Ocho as well. Uh, earlier today, Johnsonville Bratz sent me a gif of a sausage on a pogo stick and said, Sarah, just want to make sure you don't forget to watch Super Bowl. <laughs> Did you watch so, it? That's a sentence I never thought I would say. <laughs> Unfortunately, no, Super Bowl was on as we were prepping for the show today. So uh, I was unable Sounds to watch. Sounds like your priorities are a little out of whack. Well, fortunately, there are Super Bowl finals on right now as we speak. So for anyone I know listening, what your Friday night's gonna look they like. can put on ESPN two <laughs> and catch the ACL Super Bowl three finals. Which I mean, if you if you got enough in Super Bowl one and two, I can't imagine how they're gonna top it with Super Bowl three. But tune in and find out. Uh, we also asked you about worst first date foods. Now this is because last night during the Raiders Jags Hall of Fame game, the cameras cut away to owner of the Raiders Mark Davis eating wings in a white suit, and everyone said very dangerous move. Uh, we talked about how wings are a dangerous move on a first date, and we asked you the worst first date food. Courtney, I contend there is no other answer. The only answer is corn on the cob. What? It's just a pineapple corn. Yeah, but some people think that there's other answers. For instance, at Coliseum Sewage said garlic bread. I love corn. Yeah, it is corn is right, but Fart Tattoo thinks it's ribs. I hope you really have a corn-tastic day. Yeah, we will have a corn-tastic day because the answer is corn. At Mount Colucci says any pasta in a red sauce that you have to twirl because you're guaranteed to get some stripes on your shirt. I can't imagine a more beautiful thing. It's corn. Oops, exactly. The answer is corn. I can't imagine a more beautiful thing. There is no better video than the video currently circulating of the little boy who's obsessed with corn that we're playing clips from. Courtney, do you have a better answer than corn on the cob? I would have to agree that heavy garlic on a first date is a recipe mm -hmm. for disaster because it sticks to you. It's very difficult to get that taste out of your mouth. And I don't know, it just like eludes out of your pores. So mm -hmm. I, from a smell oh, perspective, right. that lobster or anything that you're like cracking shells, uh, mm. you know, it you know, crab legs, anything like that seems like that would be a lot of work to do on a first date. You'd probably be more invested in trying to eat than actually pay attention fair, to the person fair. you're talking to. Mm -hmm. and, and you might messy. pull a pretty like woman thing with the thing where they fly off slippery little fling suckers. It, yes. Fly off yes. the plate. Yeah. Yes. You might fling it into the eye or other orifices of your date. Uh, the, the garlic bread one is good, but I would argue that if you're eating a mess of corn on the cob and your teeth are full of it, they're not going to try to kiss you anyway, so they wouldn't even get to the garlic flavor because you'd look so busted with the corn in your teeth. And then you'd go to the bathroom and check, oh, my God, and then you'd try to get it, but no one has toothpicks anymore, and, like, what are you using? It's really dug in there. I'm still going corn. Now, people said Sloppy Joes. I don't know anyone who's currently Joes. still eating Sloppy Joes. I still eat Sloppy but, Joes. Okay, all right. Well, not on a first date, I hope. Um, bean burrito and cruciferous vegetables. I believe those answers, also the uh, the person who said I'm of Indian and Pakistani descent, any of our food. Uh, I think you guys, I mean, you're putting the cart before the horse. I said first date. Are you guys putting out on the first date? You don't really need to worry about the toots that you're getting from a bean burrito or some cauliflower unless you're planning on spending a lot of time together hours after the date, if you know what I'm saying. 
That's just, I mean, who's eating a bean burrito? Are you going to Taco Bell for a first date? I mean, not saying that there's anything there's wrong with that. There's bean burritos at other restaurants, like actual Mexican restaurants. Who goes to a restaurant, it says a Mexican restaurant, when there are 30,000 things on the menu that are far more appetizing? A chimichanga, a quesadilla. One of my best friends, Kim. Anything. One of my best friends, Kim, from college, orders a bean burrito at a Mexican restaurant every time. I would rather just have rice and beans than the burrito itself. Well, like it's just, you're it's, still going to end gross. up with the toots, Courtney, so be careful. You're single, aren't you? Not on a first date, okay? I mean, Stay away. I, I just, I can't with that one. Like, in okay. cruciferous vegetables, I take, I take exception to this one. Who doesn't love breaded buffalo cauliflower? Right, or like a Kung, Kung Pao cauliflower appetizer? Yeah. Or Brussels sprouts the, that are roasted? The, the difference is the amount. It's like if you have an appetizer with some cruciferous veggies, you're good. If you eat too many, it is one ticket to Toot Town. I will tell you that <laughs> from experience. Because I used to just eat a bowl of broccoli when I was in track and I was trying to stay thin. I would just steam up a couple heads of broccoli. And I'll tell you what, I didn't go on a lot of dates. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. I was very thin, but I didn't go on a lot of dates. And I ate a lot of just bowls of straight broccoli. So uh, you got to be careful. Just the appetizer, Courtney. We don't want any main dishes involving more of those kind of vegetables. Uh, DeSorbs said the worst food to eat on a first date is without a doubt tequila. <laughs> that is, It could fair. actually be the best first date food, mm, drink, Again, anything. it's all about moderation. Yeah. It's all about moderation. Um, I also like... The lady at the bare minimum who went real weird with it and said the worst thing to eat on a first date is people. I assume she means cannibalism. Would never have thought that that was an option for the question, but um, I don't know. Again, it's a Friday, nearly nine. I'm not going to say any of the other things I'm thinking. Uh, I need you to tell a story so I don't say any of the things I'm thinking. Tell us about the story that you heard about a player who really didn't want to make his coach mad. Yeah, so this is hilarious. Um... On his podcast earlier today, we find out that former Patriots uh, linebacker, excuse me, lineman, Rich Ornberg, apparently got his car into a crash on purpose when he realized he was running late to practice because (laughs) the consequences of doing that were far less than facing Bill Belichick. And, and, and facing him after missing practice, being late to That's the facility. Um, That's he was going to be 10 minutes late to a team meeting, which, of course, comes with a fine. That's what you expect in the NFL. But to crash your car, which is going to come with a <laughs> fine of its own and getting it repaired um, – you know, I guess he thought he was going to get cut from the team for tardiness. Which, and that's going to cost know, a lot more. A lot more. But, my goodness, have we heard of Bill can, Belichick can we, cutting players for being late to, like, 10 minutes to practice? Can we also talk about, okay, so, again, a lineman Rich Ornberger. I don't know what kind of car he had. I presume it was a nice one if he's an NFL player. But the car that he hit, that he purposely crashed into so that he could have a valid excuse for being late, was a church van. <laughs> The karma of intentionally taking out a church van. He said he didn't hit it hard, but he needed to hit it hard enough to cause a dent in his own car. Uh, Incredible. Truly incredible. I mean, karmically, I guess you'd rather see, you'd rather take your chances with the nuns and and the priests (laughs) than Bill Belichick, I guess. A lot more forgiveness coming from those people versus Bill. 
can guarantee I guess, that. Uh, offensive line coach seemed to know what was going on. Didn't buy the excuse. Told him it might work elsewhere, but it's not going to work here. Uh, what a great story. Uh, don't forget, tune into an NL West battle Sunday. Dodgers hosting the Padres. Coverage of Sunday Night Baseball, 6 p.m. Eastern, ESPN Radio, and the ESPN app, 7 p.m. on ESPN. Happy Friday. I hope you really have a fantastic day.